Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Knife. Today, we're lucky to have Dr. Chrislyn Mick and Dr. Lillian Cow from the University of Texas at Houston. Uh, discussing their new uh, annals of surgery paper on gallstone pancreatitis. It's the admission versus normal cholecystectomy uh, randomized control trial, or the gallstone pank trial. And it was presented at the um, annual meeting of the American Surgical Association in 2019. Dr. Meck is a general surgery resident at the University of Texas Health Science Center and first author of the paper. And Dr. Lillian Cow holds the Jack Mayfield Chair in Surgery and is Division Chief of Acute Care Surgery at the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston. She's additionally vice chair of research and faculty development, as well as, well as vice chair for quality of care at UT Houston. So Dr. Cow and Dr. Mick, welcome to you both, and thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Our understanding is that the classic approach to gallstone pancreatitis has been to wait for the gallbladder to cool off, for clinical symptoms and lab abnormalities to go away before performing surgery. And as we know, surgery is recommended for gall- during the index hospitalization. But this classic approach might prolong length of stay, according to some er- emerging studies. So Dr. Mech and Dr. Cow did a randomized control trial of early cholecystectomy and intraoperative cholangiogram for patients with mild gallstone pancreatitis, with early defined as within 24 hours of presentation, and the control group being patients who got surgery after their clinical symptoms resolved. Of 97 total subjects, all underwent a cholecystectomy and none were converted to open. The early cholecystectomy group had fewer ERCPs, 15% versus 30%, and was discharged home 32 hours earlier on average. The complication rate was slightly earlier in the early cholecystectomy group, which is 6% versus 2%, although this was not statistically significant. And these complications included recurrent or progressive pancreatitis and a cystic duct stump leak. Patient reported quality of life also improved to a similar degree in both groups. So to kick us off, what was your motivation for performing the study? So I think that the hospital where the study was performed is a safety net hospital. We have limited resources, but we care for a very high volume of patients and high acuity patients. We do about 1,300 cholecystectomies a year uh, with a 207-bed capacity. So obviously, you know, reducing length of stay is pretty important to us in reducing costs and improving resource allocation, um, as well as facilitating bed availability. So I think you know, answering a question or trying to address a need that is very specific to um, our context and our patient population was probably the primary thing. Uh, And then just assessing feasibility, uh, whether or not we thought we could do this within 24 hours at all. Like many studies, uh, we had noticed that there seemed to be a trend towards people doing operations, specifically laparoscopic cholecystectomies, earlier and earlier, not waiting for the pain to completely resolve, And uh, in fact, in the literature, there were a few observational studies that were coming out. So it appeared that some of the faculty were pushing the envelope towards operating earlier. And we felt that it was important to evaluate it more rigorously uh, before adopting it. But like many of the trials we try to do here, they stem from a clinical question that arises from everyday care. And apart from managing utilization and and managing throughput through the hospital, were there any clinical benefits that you were looking for as far as um, reasons to do an early cholecystectomy? Yeah, our patient population, again, as Chrislyn mentioned, are underserved patients who 
oftentimes put off coming to the hospital because they can't afford to be away from home, away from work. So the idea was to improve patient satisfaction without decreasing quality and safety and to uh, get them home and back to their lives sooner. That was the hope. That is why we actually included patient-reported outcomes as well to try to determine if there was any additional patient-centered benefit outside of just a shorter length of stay. Yeah, so aside, aside just from, you know, length, length of stay and getting people kind of back to their lives earlier, did you hypothesize that there was any, I mean, was there something wrong with the way that we were doing it other than it, it took longer and cost more? Um, are there any clinical downsides that you thought might be improved by during, doing cholecystectomy earlier? Any risk of doing that later cholecystectomy for these pancreatized patients? No, I don't think that we, I think we were actually concerned that people who are moving the cholecystectomies up to a shorter time frame from admission were going to expose patients to an increased risk of complications because classically, we always waited in order to try to prevent complications, conversion to open. There was always concern of, about retroperitoneal inflammation, making visualization difficult, uh, and other potential complications and risks. So many people have been reluctant even to adopt doing same admission cholecystectomy potentially for that reason. So it sounds like you um, certainly answered the the question, the local question of can we safely do a cholecystectomy earlier in these patients and, and can we improve length of stay and, and keep patients satisfied? Now, if we were to generalize to other settings, do you think that other centers and, you know, the rest of us, do you think that we're sort of wrong in the way that we're managing gallstone pancreatitis? And do you think that the rest of the field should move toward earlier, earlier cholecystectomy? I think that, you know, we're uniquely positioned um, in our facility to assess feasibility, you know, at 24 hours, just because we have operative capabilities 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have night float residents that are there only uh, at night to continue doing cases 24 hours a day. And I think that, you know, implementation in other hospitals may be difficult if they don't have an acute care surgery model um, or the operative capabilities that we do, just because getting somebody to the OR within 24 hours can be a challenge given emergencies and just other things that come up. Also, if you really look back, like many uh, other interventions, it is difficult to trace the etiology of this practice to high-quality evidence. I I absolutely don't think that waiting is wrong, but you have to ask yourself, why do we wait? Theoretically, there's very good rationale, but uh, I think that very few studies have actually tried to rigorously assess whether that is the better strategy. There are There has been at least one other randomized trial, but they waited a little longer than we did for the admission cholecystectomy. Now, we just want to return, you know, kind of get into a little bit of the nitty gritty of the study you guys did here for a second. And obviously, you know, looking at a study like this, the exclusion criteria are, are very important. Um, you know, in your study, you looked at, uh, you know, people with a low bicep score, zero to two, um, and excluded people who had either very strong or two strong indicators of cholecystitis based on the ASGE guidelines. For people out there that might not be familiar with those scores or those guidelines, would you kind of be able to paint us a little picture of the, the types of patients that were included and the types of patients that were excluded from the study? Sure. So, I mean, I think 
you know, patients had to have a diagnosis of gallstone pancreatitis, imaging confirmation of stones or sludge uh, with an elevated lipase. As far as severity, it was really important to us that we did our best to accurately risk stratify um, the severity of pancreatitis for patients um, and include only those people as mild. Um, so the first way we did that was with the bedside index of severity in acute pancreatitis or the BISAP score that you mentioned. It has the advantages of being quick. Um, it has a single time point assessment on admission and is a five-point score, which assigns a single point for age greater than 60 years, impaired mental status, elevated BUN, presence of any SERS criteria, or presence of a pleural fusion. We chose this because it was uh, one of the few scores that don't have to be assessed at 48 hours. Um, in addition to its ease and a good correlation with a mortality risk of less than two, with a score less than two. Additionally, we included clinical stability as indicated uh, by admission to a floor bed, which we thought was important so that our surgeons were allowed to have some elements of decision making with regard to the patient's clinical picture and allow them to have some sort of gestalt about if a patient was too sick to be included, then they could then be excluded if they felt like they needed to be watched more closely. Outside of that, patients were excluded if we felt they had an increased need or a higher risk of cholecystitis or for preoperative ERCP because the time uh, constraints to that and when that actually occurs is variable um, and is not necessarily within our control. Um, and so those people that had clinical evidence um, based on the ASC of a stone in the duct, uh, very high bilirubin, large duct diameter, um, were ultimately as well. Um, and then obviously we didn't include any, you know, vulnerable populations, pregnant patients, anybody that was developmentally delayed or incarcerated um, and were limited to languages of English or Spanish. Interestingly, we excluded patients with a high probability of having a common duct stone because most of our surgeons and our typical practice at the county hospital is not to do laparoscopic common bile duct exploration. However, when we presented this paper at ASA, there was a lot of interest from the audience in including laparoscopic common bile duct exploration. So I would say that if we mm -hmm. extend this site center trial, we would probably include those patients and then it would become lap coli plus lap common bile duct early versus later rather than ERCP. Or it could be institution specific. We haven't quite worked out the details for, future, for the future multi-center trial. Related to that, why do you think that the you had the in your results you found that the early cholecystectomy group had fewer ERCPs? Were you were you you know doing a lot of flushing in your IOCs and were you able to remove the stones that otherwise would have required that ERCP? So that was actually a, a surprising finding for us, um, and we, we don't have a concrete answer as to why that occurred. We hypothesized that perhaps in the control group, the longer preoperative waiting period uh, allowed for additional stones or sludge to pass into the duct. It's also possible that there was an imbalance by chance alone in our aggressiveness to clear the duct with the use of glucagon. What I can tell you is that as far as success in clearing the duct at the time of surgery, the rates of IOC positivity in which the surgeons weren't able to clear it with glucagon were 13% in the early group and 17% in the control. Um, so not hugely different. But um, as Dr. Chow mentioned, we didn't do any um, common bile duct exploration within the, the trial itself. So what do you guys think explains the So you did find a slightly higher, uh, you know, complication rate. And uh, there was, you know, one cystic duct leak um, in, in the early cholecystectomy group. 
what do you think uh, accounted for that slightly higher complication rate? Did you anecdotally notice more inflammation around the gallbladder in the early operations, um, or was there was there something else to blame? Anecdotally, we did not notice more inflammation around the gallbladder. Some of the complications were exacerbation of pancreatitis, and one of the things that Chrislyn and I have discussed is that there's limitations in the scores that predict severity of pancreatitis, including the mm -hmm. biceps. And it is unclear how we can differentiate from those, those patients who present on the downslope of their mild gallstone pancreatitis, where they're improving and they're already better than what before they presented, versus those that are just beginning and on an upslope. So it's very possible that we did the cholecystectomy in a few patients in whom they were worsening, and it's simply we did the we got away with the cholecystectomy in there. Alternatively, the IOC could certainly have worsened the pancreatitis because if you uh, inject dye and you get a pancreatogram as well, that could also have exacerbated the pancreatitis. So it's unclear which one caused the increase in number of patients who had exacerbations. The other complications were all very minor, and it was really, I think, the exacerbation of pancreatitis that differentiated the two groups. To shift gears a little bit, was there resistance to doing this trial on the part of your faculty? You mentioned that many, you know, a few folks were already sort of moving toward early, early cholecystectomy, but was there any pushback when you rolled this trial out? We actually sent out a survey while we were sort of designing the trial and talking about how we were going to implement it, just discussing with staff um, their thoughts about the trial design and whether they would feel comfortable participating. Um, and about 50% had some reservations, but did state that they would feel uh, comfortable participating while the other 50% had, had no reservations about it. There, there was a spread in terms of how enthusiastic people were in terms of being early adopters of early cholecystectomy. As already mentioned, some had already shifted their practice somewhat, but everyone was willing, had enough equipoise that they were willing to randomize. We had, we had a question about how you chose that, the 24-hour mark for that early cholecystectomy. With prior studies, you know, defining early cholecystectomy is within 48 hours. So our question was, if you use that, if you actually use that 48-hour cutoff instead of the 24 cutoff, do you think you would have seen that improvement in length of stay since even the control group typically had surgery, you know, within 43 hours on average? Um, and part two of that question is, given the 12-hour waiting period that you instituted uh, to kind of rule out a worsening clinical pancreatitis, did that mean that a lot of these were having to be done in, in the middle of the night? And, and you know, what's the, what, what were kind of the implications of, of, of that, of having to do these cases in the middle of the night? So I think, it's, I think it's hard to say if there would still have been an improvement of length of stay if we had defined early as the 48-hour mark. Um, I think that some of those lines are a little bit blurred just because, you know, we said that as the trial progressed, people sort of started already um, advancing the timeline for when they would take people uh, to the operating room. As far as nighttime operation, we looked at um, both uh, nighttime operation and also um, between midnight and 6 a.m. And both, uh, both groups had similar rates of that. Um, and so we did certainly continue to operate throughout the night uh, in both groups as far as this goes, but there weren't any um, differences in complication rates or anything between those two. 
I think generalizability is another limitation of this trial. Our culture at the county hospital is to operate in the middle of the night. We have in-house 24-7 staff, and we have a night shift third-year resident who comes in fresh and wanting to operate at night. And the practice evolved because if we tried to do them during the day, then they would just get pushed back for elective cases, cancer cases, other emergencies during the day. And before you knew it, these patients would be here for days. So the culture evolved that the operating room staff is used to operating at night. And in fact, I think sometimes I feel as though the staff move faster at night than during the day when I really want to take a nap. However, I don't know that at other institutions that don't have an acute care surgery model or similar capacity that they would be able to operate as quickly. So, in fact, if this trial were to be conducted at a different center, 48 hours may well show a huge difference depending on what their practice is like and what their availability of the operating room is like. I think certainly, uh, I mean, in just in my experience, depending on what hospital I happen to be at, there certainly, I think, is a tendency for this old, you know, kind of waiting until the, the pain goes completely away and the lab's normalized. I think certainly that in the community, especially, I think there's patients that are sometimes sitting there on the floor for, you know, three, four, five, six days. Um, so uh, I would imagine uh, on a broader scale, even that 48-hour cutoff would still see a decrease in, in length of stay. So I, I think it's, I find it very interesting. Absolutely. I agree with you. However, I will say that several people came up to me and to Chris Lynn after our presentation at American Surgical and even stated on Twitter, great, thank you for the trial because this validates our practice or our desired practice. So um, there are definitely people who are wanting to operate earlier. Definitely. From a system standpoint, doing these operations at night, do you have any backup for traumas and other emergencies that come in? That's been one of the concerns among a lot of the staff that I've worked with. Is, is if we if we start a gallbladder at 6 p.m. and a trauma comes in, you know, the only staff around are the ones doing the gallbladder, and you can't kind of get get out of that. So, uh, curious about that. We are a level three trauma center at our county at that particular county hospital. So the severity of trauma that arrives is uh, usually not something that uh, res the junior resident can't at least initially see. And because the volume of gallbladders is so high, uh, the third-year resident is frequently able to stay in the OR while the attending goes down to see what the trauma is. Obviously, the third-year resident does not proceed and do anything unsafe, but stay with the patient if the attending needs to leave. So, I'm not sure that it would be possible at a level one trauma center or another trauma center um, that has higher severity injured patients. For example, at our level one trauma center, we don't do gallbladders in the middle of the night because of all the trauma uh, cases, orthopedics, neurosurgery, general trauma. So I don't think it would be feasible here. But at the county, it's only a level three. Interesting. And, and sort of back to the question of generalizability. Um, has early cholecystectomy, is that now the standard of care at your center? And are you trying to explore other populations that you might be able to um, apply this to? So I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily become the standard of care just yet. I know that 
temptation is to is to proceed with early cholecystectomy, given that the overall rate of complications that we've seen in the trial was low and sort of comparable to um, what you find in um, same admission pre-discharge cholecystectomy in the literature. However, you know, this was a pilot trial and unfortunately underpowered to assess the complications at that level. And so I, I think that we have to be careful in, in proceeding as though um, this is the, the final say on, you know, complication rates um, in mild valvular pancreatitis. Hopefully this is something that we can assess uh, with our future multicenter trial in uh, a larger sample size. I do think some people may have more comfort in operating, perhaps not so early, but without 100%. However, I would not advocate that everyone go out and operate on predicted mild gallstone pancreatitis within 24 hours, both for all the reasons we elucidated. One, the context may not be amenable to that. Two, we don't have an accurate way to predict who is going to worsen in terms of the severity of their pancreatitis. And three, we can't provide definitive evidence that there is a, not an increase in complications. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think, uh, like, I, I agree. I think that that's, um, it's, it's those, those kind of those patients where, you know, you're always, the classical teaching is you have to wait till the clinical pancreatitis is completely resolved. And I think there's a large number of out there that are, that kind of intuitively thought that we could probably do this safely a little bit earlier. So that's where I think that, you know, this, this data is, is really exciting. And so along the lines, you know, I think a lot of times we run into patients who are very reluctant or to stay in the hospital until they're completely, quote unquote, cooled off, because that might mean, you know, several days. And as you already said, a lot of these patients are, are very, um, uh, are very anxious to get back to things they have going on in their lives. You know, so I was always taught, you know, gallstone pancreatitis, the gallbladder needs to come out before they leave the hospital. But what I've seen in practice is a lot of times patients want to leave, they're allowed to leave. So they, they go home and they end up coming back for an integral cholecystectomy, elective case. You know, of course, there can be a pretty high risk of recurrent pancreatitis when that. So do you think that this data can be applied to those patients for or an early, in order to provide justification for an early cholecystectomy strategy to help limit the amount of patients who are discharged without surgery after a bout of gallstone pancreatitis? I think that it it probably can be um, applied to to try and, you know, the, the patients that obviously fit the bill mild disease, uncomplicated, that it can be used to uh, advance operative timelines home and out of the hospital. But as you mentioned before, and I think as we've seen, you know, sort of throughout the country, practice variability is everywhere. And even, you know, in patients that have acute cholecystitis, where we know the recommendation is to um, take out their gallbladder, certainly before they go home within 72 hours, you know, people are still getting cooled off from that and being sent home without surgical intervention. And so I think, you know, the places that, like Dr. Cal mentioned, that are set up to do these things that are early adopters of sort of new innovations and new information probably can use this to advance their operative timeline. But I think there's going to be a lot of variability in places that don't necessarily take the new information that easily. I will say again that context is very important. So in our patient population uh, of mostly non-funded patients, they don't tend to come back for their elective cholecystectomy. So 
we really try to do them before they leave. And actually, sometimes these patients, having waited 24 hours in the emergency room and put off going to the doctor as long as possible because they can't miss work, a lot of them do want to stay until the problem gets resolved because they also can't afford to come back. So I think it depends a little bit on the context and the patient population that you're talking about. Great. So uh, we wanted to just ask, you know, kind of what, what, what are, what's the next plans? You know, what, what are you guys going to do with this data? Um, the, you mentioned that there's going to be, you know, follow-on, multi-center um, study looking at this. What kind of timetable are you looking at? What have you taken from this pilot study that you're going to change uh, in the multi-center? And when, when can we be expecting to uh, see those, uh, those results? Ooh, the pressure is on. <laughs> we, in an world. <laughs> Should we have infinite amounts of time? We would like to get this going as soon as possible. However, I think we're in the phase of uh, exploring what centers have enough volume and where we can get funding to do this trial. So this was a single center, not externally funded trial that was run largely on the back of Chris Lynn uh, coming in a lot to randomize patients and enroll them. Uh, so in a multi-center trial, some things that we would change, number one, is length of stay would not be the number, the primary outcome for us. That was the primary outcome in our feasibility pilot trial, but we would look at complications. So the numbers would have to be a lot larger, given that the complication rate overall is fairly low. It was 6% in one arm, and I can't remember exactly, 2 or 3% in the other arm. So that's not, that would require a lot of patience. Number two, as mentioned, we would have to incorporate the institutional and surgeons' preferences to do lap-cum bile duct exploration, so figuring out a way to incorporate that into the trial because not all centers will want to, but some will. Number three, we had talked about when we presented the paper that if we could get a large enough cohort, it would be interesting to try to come up with a better way to predict which patients were getting better and which ones were getting worse to try to prevent misclassification and operating on someone who was deteriorating. We were relatively lucky in that the two patients that got worse were randomized to the control arm, so we didn't operate on them. Uh, so uh, I feel that uh, we don't. We want to try to avoid randomizing those patients or any patients uh, who might deteriorate. In today's day and age of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, that'd be a great way to try to predict uh, who's going to get worse and who's going to get better. But those are some of the things that we would look to change. I think that uh, multi-center trials are a lot slower moving than these single-center trials um, that are looking at pilot data. Well, it's very. I mean, it's very exciting. I think, like, I think this is a very exciting topic, and I think it's it's long overdue that 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 it, it's looked at. So, uh, we certainly appreciate what you've done and your and your efforts with it. Chris Lynn uh, designed this trial. She used it as her thesis and a master's degree for clinical research. She pretty much carried out the trial with the help of a few other residents who would carry around a pager and come in to the county hospital at all hours of the day and night to try to enroll and randomize patients. And uh, so I really wanted to give a shout out to her and to show that residents can design and conduct randomized trials that address important issues. So I wanted to say that and let everyone know.
We appreciate the shout out and we are grateful to, to you and to Chrislyn for joining us and, and more importantly for sharing this data with us. I think it's really important that um, our listeners and that the field of surgery sort of gets such a gets an update on how to manage gallstone pancreatitis in, in today's world. So um, we're incredibly grateful to the two of you for joining us and for doing this important work. And we're looking forward to the paper coming out in print and hearing about the next study whenever whenever you get the, those centers coordinated. Great. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Until next time, dominate the day.